when you're not financially secure, it definitely weighs on you mentally. And it just uh, like the mental bandwidth you take up to think about how am I going to pay this bill or what are we going to eat tonight? That can really eat away at your mental health. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Mandy Woodruff, host of the Brown Ambition podcast. Her co-host is actually the incredible Tiffany Alicia, and she's a personal finance journalist and editor. I've long admired Mandy's work and I'm so excited to have her on the show today. She's here to share her own money and career story. And mamas, we're going way back to how she felt financial insecurity when her parents got divorced and then graduating into the Great Recession and then 2020. And we'll also talk about how motherhood has affected her journey. We'll talk about negotiating every offer and the importance of resilience in reaching your big goals. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Mandy, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Mandy, and that's M-A-N-D-I, to download your free Meaningful Money Goal Kickstart Guide and access the complete show notes. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Mandy, welcome to the Smart Money Mamas show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to get to talk to you today. I love your podcast, Brown Ambition. So tell everybody a little bit about you and the work that you do. Oh, goodness. Where to start? So Brown Ambition, the podcast, Tiffany Aliche, a.k.a. The Budgetista, she and I started that together five years ago, almost exactly, which is insane. At the time, I was a reporter at Yahoo Finance, and my background is in journalism. I've been an editor and reporter in the personal finance space for over a decade now worked at Yahoo Finance, Business Insider, and now I manage content and consumer education for a company called LendingTree, which is very much all about helping consumers make smart financial decisions by comparing all the different types of products you might need for your financial life, like mortgages, auto loans, credit cards, student loans, all that jazz. But the podcast has always been mine, my baby, (laughs) Tiffany and my baby. It was really born out of the frustration that, well, not really frustration. It wasn't like I was like, oh, I'm just going to do this podcast. But I genuinely just thought it would be an amazing way to reach an audience, to educate consumers, to speak to people, especially women of color. And at the time, as a reporter, when I actually pitched the podcast to Yahoo and they said, yeah, you can't guarantee us a million downloads and immediate ad revenue, so we're not going to let you do this. That was actually a blessing in disguise because I was able to launch it. Here's the secret, guys. I don't know if Chelsea's told you, but anybody can do a podcast. It's not that hard. (laughs) I taught myself how, and we've been rocking ever since. So I'm always curious to talk to journalists, journalism major. Did you think you were going to get into the personal finance world, that you would spend all your time talking about personal finance? (laughs) Oh, yeah. No one. No one ever goes to journalism school or majors in journalism and then thinks that they're going to write about 401ks in retirement. I couldn't have even told you what those things were when I was in college. That being said, I think journalism school has changed so much. I mean, you can't even study the focus that I studied in, in journalism school now. I actually studied magazines, which do they even exist anymore? I don't know. And it was radio and it was broadcast. You know, there was no mention of digital and It was social media was just becoming a thing when I had left. So it was kind of a joke, (laughs) to be honest. 
That being said, I, I did graduate in the thick of the Great Recession, and I also had a very like unique upbringing when it came to money and had a real appetite for doing things a little bit differently in terms of my own finances as an adult and wanting to take control of them. I was lucky that I got to combine two interests and kind of make my career work in a way that I gained so much financial knowledge and I got paid to do it. And that is the biggest hack of my life, I think. And it's been great. Tell us a little bit about your unique upbringing with money. I was raised mostly by a single mom. She had four kids. She's still with us. I don't know why I'm talking about her as if (laughs) she's in the past. Yeah. Oh, Laura Jane. My mom raised four of us mostly on her own. My parents separated when I was 10 and it was a very stressful situation. And I remember that was the first time I felt real financial insecurity was those three to five years after that divorce. I know parents, they try to shield their children from the reality of the situation. And and my mom really did try to make us feel like nothing was different, but of course everything was different. And I could feel the stress and I could feel the strain. And I, and I just in my little 10 year old brain kind of put two and two together that we are stressed and we don't know where we're going to live or how we're going to get Christmas presents and things like that. And it's because on an income of one with four kids, my mom just, you know, she really struggled. My mom had to make choices that she didn't want to make because of her lack of financial security. And I certainly didn't, in my mind, articulate that when I was so small, so young. But over the years, it did occur to me as I as I went to college and graduated and started to make my own decisions about money, I was very excited by the opportunity to create a very secure financial foundation for myself so that I could make choices that I wanted to make. I really feel like financial knowledge, and I don't mean money itself, but financial knowledge helps just in and of itself because it it gives you the education you need to make decisions that you want to make. That's my mentality around money now is when you have it, when you have financial security, you're just able to, you just can make choices that you want to make. And that to me is really, it's priceless. So that desire for autonomy and independence, it sounds like it comes from this divorce when you were around 10. How did that deepen or change as you graduated into the Great Recession? Were you able to get a job right out of school? How did that first introduction to adulthood go? There was some bliss in my own ignorance in terms, because I, I graduated in 09. I do remember, it was really funny. I mean, you, you have guest speakers in college, especially when you're a college senior, they try and bring you professionals in your field to come and talk to you about the job search and what it's like mm-hmm. and all that. And everyone who came was so depressed, like legit. They were just like, they came in looking haggard. They're like, yo, I'm just happy to have a job. I've seen my colleagues get laid off. Everyone seemed really bummed out about it and (laughs) for a good reason because, you know, newspapers were dying and all that. When I was interning, I did intern for a a news service in my last year of college and I met a reporter and he was telling me all about how his friend had interned at some online news site in Chile, in Santiago, Chile. I just held on to that story and I was like, hey, what about your friend? Can I reach out to him? And I ended up leaving college and although I did have a job offer for a small newspaper, I turned it down and ended up traveling instead. I moved to Chile and I I worked for essentially a, a blog, looking back on it. But it was a news blog, a news site that catered to English speakers living in Santiago in South America. And I mean, I did that for 
four or five months and I came back to the end of the world in terms of the economy <laughs> with like $16 in the bank because I really just, I, I literally just like skidded my way home, like running on E. I don't know. When I got on that flight, the final flight, I don't know how I found the money to do it. I was hustling. I was like teaching English. I was begging the guy that I worked for to pay me something because he didn't pay any of us anything. But yeah, so when I got you back. pay um, you? No, it was an unpaid internship. Oh and my gosh. It was free labor and it was all expats. It was all just, you know, and he was just, it was, it was a great business model for him. I mean, he took advantage of all these, you know, all these kids with educations who were traveling and passing through. And I, I always loved traveling, but I wanted to live places. I, I, I didn't want to like do the backpacking thing where you were in a different city every two days. I kind of wanted to just be a part of the culture and, I had never given much thought to like Santiago, Chile at all, but I was really eager to learn and to move there. And so I, I literally just scrounged and saved and I dog sat and babysat and that whole summer before the summer after graduation. And then I, I moved down there and I was really, you know, talk about managing your money. I, I was doing it all then managing my money. And then I finally negotiated for pay. So I told the guy, I'm like, look, either you can pay me and have someone consistently here who's not going to like you know, not show up because they want to go see the glaciers in Argentina tomorrow, which is what people were constantly doing because they're all traveling. Or, you know, I can I can be in and out like everybody else. And he eventually paid me weekly. I think it was like a hundred bucks a week or something like that. But it was big something money. big money. I mean, you made it I made it stretch for sure. I forget what the original question was, but yeah, I I traveled and then I came back and got a grown up girl job and moved to New York and was immediately laid off. <laughs> like, like oh, within, no. oh yeah. I mean, immediately and like I had moved to New York, got an apartment with a friend and I bought a mattress. I bought an iPhone because you had to have that. Within two months, I was like sat down with my head of HR and told that they were laying everybody off and goodbye. <laughs> that was the start of, I mean, I was always a hustler. So it was like, it was like the summer before that. I just hustled. I found whatever work I could. And luckily was able to get another job, not in a career that I loved, not working for a place I loved. And it was then that it clicked for me. I'm making a choice to work for this place and do this job that I thoroughly hate because I do not have money to do anything else. I don't want this to ever happen to me again. So let's get my coins right. And then, you know, God forbid something else like this happens again, but I'll be ready. What moves did you start making with your money when you had that realization? Oh, all the debt. I mean, I didn't have a ton of debt, but I had I had bad, bad habits. And thank goodness that I didn't have access to even more credit than I did at the time. Because, you know, I had my little college credit card that I signed up for when I was interning in New York. It was maybe a limit of, I don't know, $2,000, but I always maxed it out. I was always like paying off, you know, the minimum balance plus 20 bucks. So I always had like, $25 worth of room on there. And I was constantly, you know, going over and getting paid, you know, paying financing charges. And I just buckled down and started to whittle it away, stopped using my credit card. And I had student loan debt, like most college students do these days. Thank goodness it wasn't a lot. I was really lucky because I actually went to a state school, University of Georgia, which was quite affordable because if you kept good grades, you got a scholarship that paid for your tuition. So I really only left college with $7,000 worth of debt at the time. 
not bad, not bad. And I was able, but at, on like a salary of $30,000 in New York City, it took me forever to pay it down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, $30,000 in New York City. Oh, yeah. And my little, but I remember when I got that job that I, at the place that I hated, that shall not be named. But anyway, I remember I, they told me the salary and I, and I, I just plucked up all my little courage and I called and I was like, excuse me, could, uh, is this negotiable? Because, this is not very much. And I was making 15K more at the last job. And I was just wondering if you could. And the answer was no. They're like, no, this is it. Take it or leave it. And I said, okay, I'll have, I'll take it. But you made it work. So you start, you're paying off debt. You're getting your habits under control, right? And and so yeah. we talk a lot about like mindset and these, the money habits that happen and get built. And it can be hard to change some of those habits. So tell us like, what did that what did that transition look like to not maxing out your credit cards all the time and maybe setting a budget? Yeah, it was difficult because you want to be 22 years old in New York City living your best life. You want to travel. I mean, I wanted to. I wanted to go out. And I mean, I did have fun. But for me, it was helpful to have friends in similar positions as me. I mean, it was the recession. It wasn't like young professionals my age were wiling out, you know, unless you were working in a, a different career field, but certainly not the journalism grads that my friends from school, we were not, we were all like in the same boat. So we would, we would have fun. I mean, I remember I just Groupon had come out the time. So I was all about that Groupon way before Tiffany Haddish made it cool. I was, (laughs) (laughs) I was living my best life on Groupon, you know, little excursions and things to do. Luckily had really good friends and you could, you, we had our fun and the, and New York city is actually New York city is a lot of fun when you don't have a lot of money. There's so many free things to do. I, Thank goodness I was too broke to pay the subway, like the monthly subway pass fee. I forget what it was at the time, like a hundred bucks. And I got a little bike off Craigslist and I started to bike. That actually gave me not only an opportunity to see the city for free, to stay in good shape and all that, but I started a blog at the time all about biking in New York. It was an exciting time because there was it wasn't a very bike-friendly city. And, and it also gave me, I tell this to college students too, when you're graduating, like maybe you don't have your dream job right away, but it doesn't mean that you can't do what you love. So even though I was at a job that I didn't like, that I wasn't writing at, I was like, I need to write. And so I will continue doing it for myself. So I started that blog. And that blog is actually the reason I got the job as a reporter at Business Insider a couple of years later, because although I didn't have very many clips, as they called it at the time, but no one clips anything anymore. Um, I didn't have much writing to show for myself, but I had this whole blog with an audience and they could see my writing and my style and that plus a little bit of BSing, which I think everyone should do a little healthy dose of BS when you're applying for a job that you're not qualified for is, is definitely recommended. Um, growing up, it all goes back to your childhood. Of course, you know, Mm. if anyone's who therapy, everything does, everything does. But I, it, my childhood wasn't great, but it was, I mean, it was great in its own way, but resilience. And I think that that's a word that is definitely buzzing right now as you see people who are coping and not coping with mm-hmm. what's going on today. And the great gift, I think, of those difficult times is that taught me to find humor in darkness and also just to be resilient. When you get knocked down, you like, what's the option? Am I going to sit here and like cry? Or am I going to, like, I just, I can see the end game. I can see okay, this is a moment in time and we'll just pick ourselves back up and, you know, try to stay relatively positive and use whatever resources you have, whatever talents you have 
and make the most of it. And I think that's why I was able to, yeah, bounce back from all those little hiccups along the way. That actually brings up a great point. So we have so many families struggling in 2020 with COVID and remote work and virtual school and just everything that's been happening. And many are kind of stressed about money. And so what advice do you have to kind of build that resilience and maybe give yourself a little bit of breathing room if you're feeling overwhelmed right now? Well, there's the mental health aspect of it, building mental resilience. I think that it's a lot of talking to yourself. I mean, I talk to myself all the time. And I certainly think the good thing about this pandemic that we're in now, if you can look at silver linings, is that telemedicine has really opened access to mental health services to people who maybe never could work it into their schedule, could never Mm -hmm. find time to go drive to a therapy appointment, sit in a waiting room, have your little 45 minutes and then drive back. I mean, it was a burden, honestly. And it felt like I've talked to moms who have been like, who has the time for therapy? Like, when am I supposed to do that for myself? But now, you know, I can I can hop onto a, my virtual call with my therapist. I save time and and it's accessible to me. So I definitely think taking advantage of therapy. And recently on the podcast, we had Imani Walker, who's a psychiatrist in the LA area. And she was talking all about just the act of saying your your problems out loud like looking at them and acknowledging them and then choosing to sort of not let them weigh you down and to, you know, look beyond them. Just talking that through can really help. And one thing that I've learned, honestly, I think having this, so I have a baby, uh, Rio, I, he's 10 months old now. So he's a pandemic baby for most of his life. He's been in quarantine. Yeah. Quarantine baby. He really taught me, it was the best preparation I can think of for this current pandemic was because like nothing is more isolating and anxiety ridden than, at least in my experience, than being a new mom in flu season um, in general. <laughs> so even before true quarantine started, I was already quarantining and just like freaking out about everything. You know, I think the reason I was so stressed as a new mom was, and I think maternity leave is like the worst. I mean, I think it's important because we all need that time. But for me, Oh, man, it messed me up. Like, if you're a woman who's used to being productive and putting your energy into work, and then they take that away from you, and all you have is this little tiny baby who can't really give you anything but love and, like, cuddles. you When they're in the mood. Yeah, when they're in the mood. And not even that, because he was never a cuddler. Anyway, I put all of my energy into, like, trying to figure him out. Googling and books. I'd be up pacing at 4 a.m. with him, listening to audiobooks and podcasts and trying to figure out how to do this and do that and taking this e-course and signing up for that. And I just like, I broke down for real. It's odd how, how this happened right around the time he started to sleep longer stretches. Suddenly I came out of this fog. (laughs) So coincidental. (laughs) Wonder what happened there. Yeah. Well, it was that. And and just that little bit of extra sleep, I was able to like say, Hey, this is not working. Well, one, I got on some anti-anxiety medication that helped. We got on some Zoloft and that's been great. But also I just, I just told myself, like, this is not working. And I think you're just not trusting yourself. You're trying to look for answers in all the wrong places. And the only person who can answer your questions is your child. As soon as I just turned off the Google and I stopped reading and stopped asking my friends for advice, like, I love them and bless their hearts, but they don't know my child. I really had to get to a place where I could be resilient for him. And I could, it was a bad night. We didn't sleep all night. He was cranky. He was teething, whatever. I had to start telling myself, this is one night. Tomorrow is different. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's always going to be this way. 
you have to start talking to yourself. And I think in this pandemic right now, every day is a different day. If today was a bad day, if you had a day like I had a couple of weeks ago where I was like, hey, um, I'm going to go use the bathroom. And I took a glass of wine and literally laid down in my bathtub, my empty bathtub with a pillow and just hid there for 45 minutes. My husband was like, are you okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> if you have days like that, it's one day. Tomorrow's a different day. It's not going to be forever. This too shall pass. I mean, it's you have to sort of like repeat those mantras to yourself. That's all kind of mental. So get your mental, you get your mind strong, build resilience mentally, financially. And they're so connected, right? Because when you're not financially secure, it definitely weighs on you mentally. And it just like the mental bandwidth you take up to think about how am I going to pay this bill or how are we, what are we going to eat tonight? That can, can really eat away at your, at your mental health. But for a lot of people who are in dire straits right now, who don't have money in their bank account, they're furloughed, they don't have work, et cetera. I'm not going to sit here and tell you to save three months in an emergency fund. You can't fucking like you can't yeah. <laughs> with what money you <laughs> how. And I mean, the truth is you've got to get scrappy. You've got to find the hustle. You've got to do whatever you can. You've got to ask for help, <laughs> ask for help. And there are things that I've done. I didn't think I would ever do. I finally asked a neighbor who has a, a daughter who's 19. I was like, is your daughter available for babysitting? I never thought I would be mentally there to have someone else in my house, but I was cracking without the help. Mm. So I finally, you know, got a little babysitting help. I asked my mother-in-law to come because she's, you know, free labor and she, maybe she annoys the shit out of me, but she's here. <laughs> and like I dealt with it, you know, being scrappy, looking for like, look inside. What can you do? What talent do you have? Do you have a car? Can you do DoorDash? Can you do Postmates? What's it called? All these apps. Can you Uber? Can you what can you do to bring in a little extra income? What resources do you have to you within your community? Unemployment benefits, are they still are out there. They're not obviously the, the extra juice that the government had given them in the form of that extra $600 payment. That's unfortunately gone, but they're still out there. Don't be too proud for food stamps, the, you know, SNAP programs. See local food banks in your area, churches. Ask for help. You know, no one can help you if you don't raise a hand and ask for it. And I'm so grateful to the friends and family that we had when we were struggling who helped us. And I know my mom, it probably took her, it was probably really difficult for her to ask for that kind of help when she was struggling. But without it, we would have been out in the cold. And I'm glad that she did. It's hard sometimes to let go of some of the pride to ask for help, even though it shouldn't be that way, right? When we need help, we should be, there's so many people who want to help us. I think we all kind of feel that way. And I, I like giving the permission, even if we maybe shouldn't need it. But for some other people that we hear in our community, they are considering different ways to make money that, you know, that idea of getting scrappy, whether it's starting a blog or starting an online business or becoming a virtual assistant, they're starting to explore those things. So I'm curious, what streams of income do you have now? So you work full time for LendingTree. What are your other streams of income? Well, I have got the podcast. That's mm -hmm. been a nice, it's certainly not, it's not my primary source of income, but it's there, which is nice. And we just launched, you know, and that income, when you have a podcast, it can come from advertising sales. So we have an ad partner who sells ads for us. And we also recently launched our merchandise store, brownambitionpodcaststore.com. Mm -hmm. 
or what is it? Brownambitionstore.com. I should probably know my own website. For- <laughs> we'll make sure the right link is in the show notes. Yeah, for you. you know. So that's, you know, honestly, that's not even about the extra income. That's just about people were asking for it. I genuinely want it. I love Brown Ambition so much. Like who wouldn't want to wear that on a t-shirt, you know? That's an income. I look at my retirement account and my investment accounts as income, especially because as I've learned more about investing, I started to invest in mutual funds that pay dividends. And that's extra money that the company whose stock you've you know purchased is giving you for being a shareholder. So that for me is a source of income. That's pretty much it. Also through my company. So before I came to LendingTree, I was the content director for a startup called Magnify Money. LendingTree actually acquired Magnify Money. And I've got to thank my little brother because he told me, my little brother is like, at the time, how old was he? 22? I was 27. I forget. And I was talking to him about my job offer. And this is the same kid who, when I told him I was turning down a job to go travel through South America, he was like, the fuck? Why are you doing that? (laughs) (laughs) So you're telling me you're going to turn down a paycheck to go work for free? Like he didn't, it was like, he doesn't, he's the business mogul. He doesn't... (laughs) I'm the like the free spirit. Yeah, it did not compute for him. So we have a healthy, you know, I still do my thing, but I, I still have Alex in the back of my mind sometimes. So when I was negotiating my salary for that job with Magnify, I was really excited about it. And I called him to tell him what the salary was. And he was like, yo, did you ask for equity? And I was like, why? How how dare you? (laughs) I got got really defensive because I was like, shit, he's right. I didn't ask for equity. (laughs) The thing is, I've learned like no conversations done until paperwork is signed. And so even though I felt like we had the discussion, I was like, can I talk to you again real quick? I have another question. (laughs) Can I have some equity? So through the, yes. So I got it some equity and magnify. And then when we were acquired, that turned into a nice windfall for me as well. And I've invested and yeah, I can't say that I I charted out these steps, but I just tried to follow my gut, trust your gut every step of the way and try and follow the good feeling toward working with people that I enjoy working with, doing good work, talking to people like my little brother. I think you've got to have someone who can push you, give you that little, if you don't have the courage and you don't have the the little, you need the little extra push, the confidence to ask certain questions to get what you deserve, then that's fine. Try and find you a little brother like mine or whoever that could be for you. So many people struggle with that negotiating, that making, especially if they feel like they already had the conversation calling back and reopening the door. So what advice do you have from someone who maybe doesn't have the encouragement from their little brother or from someone in their lives to, to start negotiating, to start those conversations? I will say this as someone who now, so I've, I've hired couple dozen people over the last few years and I manage a few dozen people right now. And I personally believe it is entire bullshit. The the line of thinking in in management that's like it's on the employer employee. It's on the interview. It's on the the candidates to push for a better salary, to push for equal pay. And and I, I really fundamentally disagree with the notion that we need to expect every employee, potential employee, every job candidate to be a tested like professional negotiator to be able to come to the table and know what they're worth and know what we can pay them and figure us out. You know, like that's just utter crap to me. I think it's entirely something that as a manager and in a hiring position and, you know, as a company that we should acknowledge, like, how about we just pay people what they're worth and have some like do some work to figure out what a, what a, what a good salary is. And then we just offer that to them 
And then like, how about a that? revolutionary idea, man. revolutionary. How about we, we have all the knowledge, we have the power. So why are we making people feel shitty, especially women? I'm tired of the headlines, like how women can negotiate better. Here's how you need to change yourself to fit the standards of, you know, this male dominated society, you know, be stronger, don't wear skirts, you know, be tougher, don't use your upspeak. It's just like all that crap. I just, I'm, ugh, I hate it so much. That being said, I realize not every manager is like me. Not every company is like that. So let's say you're going to the table and you're coming from a place of you you have a job currently. I think when it comes to time for ne- to negotiate, I think try not to give a number. I think you should, if salary comes up and they, I think in some states, including New York, they can't even ask you what you're making right now, which is great. So you don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to tell anybody what you're making right now. You just flip that switch and you say, Oh, well, you know, instead of talking about what I'm currently making, I'd like to focus on the job that I'd be doing for you guys and learn what all goes into that. Ask them for details. But then on the background, I would say, try to talk to other people in that field and try to get a gauge of what they're earning in that space. And, you know, you do have tools like Glassdoor and Payscale.com, but I think nothing can can replace just having a conversation with someone else. And make sure it's someone who lives in the area you live, because... Like when I was negotiating at one point, I called my uncle who lives in Georgia and I'm here in New York and he's like, 45,000, that sounds amazing. <laughs> you should take it. <laughs> like, 45,000 in Georgia may be amazing, but not in New York. So I would say try to find someone in your area. And if you're not, if your palms aren't sweaty with what you're asking for, then you're probably not asking for enough. Ooh. You're probably not. And especially this is, a you know, just to keep going on this, one of the one of the smartest things I did when I negotiated, I also knew sometimes to get back to where you need to be, you've got to be willing to leave the job that you're at. Like I said, I started at 30K, 35K, I think something like that at the first job I got after I'd been laid off during the recession. And I was behind. I was behind for like three or four years. And even when I was at Business Insider loving my job, managing a, the personal finance vertical for them. I asked for more. I wasn't given it. And I looked at my salary and I was like, I'm if I'm not gonna get what I want, I've gotta I've gotta go. Bye. And so I went to Yahoo and I got like a 20 something percent raise by leaving and being willing to leave. And I kept pushing and I kept going up. And I had to do that, I think, to make up for those years when you're not getting paid what's comparable to your peers during better economies. You take what you can get, I think, during times like this, but then when things get better and the job market improves, people are hiring again, you've got to sometimes hop, skip and move and do your own thing. Yeah, that's another frustrating thing of like why employers can't see that sometimes they need to give someone a big bump to pay what they'd have to pay a new employee anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> to keep up with the times. It's just ineffective. But yeah, sometimes you have to make that shift. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk about how becoming a mom impacted your career and money goals. But before we dig into that, let's take a quick pause to hear from our incredible partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Mama, let me tell you a little bit about one of my favorite money-saving apps. Ibotta is a free app that gives you real cash back, not points or codes you have to calculate the value of. And I've been using it for years, receiving hundreds of dollars in cash rewards. And today, we have an extra exciting announcement. For a long time, Ibotta has been focused on helping us cut our grocery bills, which goodness knows we need some help on. But now they're bringing that cash back savings to even more purchases we make every day with their new browser extension. 
Simply add it to Chrome, sign into your Ibotta account, and get notified every time you're shopping on a site that offers cash back with Ibotta. I've already used it for holiday gift orders, and all it required was a single click. Add the Ibotta Chrome extension or download the free app today to start saving. And Smart Money Mamas listeners can unlock an exclusive $20 cash welcome bonus with the code MAMA2020. Extra money to put towards your savings goals? Yes, please. So, Mandy, you have a 10-month-old son. I do. You can probably hear him in the background. He's up from his nap. (laughs) I can hear him a little bit. We hear from a lot of moms that's like their money goals and their money mindset shift when they become a mom, right? Like their their family structure changes. So I'm curious, like, how did you prepare for having your son? And has your career changed at all since you've had him? I know it's been pandemic. Everybody's lives have changed in 2020. But I try to find, spin every disaster into some kind of positive in my brain. Because again, resiliency and the pandemic, honestly, the, the the benefit I can see from it is that it's so, there's no expectation for me to pretend like I'm not a mom with a baby. Like, yes. I mean, my son has taken, you know, very loud diarrhea poops in my lap on conference calls and I'm still a boss <laughs> and I still am a senior director and I still get my pay. <laughs> like no one judges me differently. It's like, the, yes, that there's a negative to your worlds being so blurred, you know, home and work and baby, like being a mom, all of them, all those things at all times. And it is so exhausting. Mm-hmm. It is hard. It is hard. But I do feel like, and I don't know what it would have been like to come back, you know, in pre-COVID times from maternity leave. I, I feel like my company is very, they're just not one of those places where I think I would be I would have any sort of mom tax from being a new mom, you know, mm-hmm. but I do know that there's places like that when you're com- you come back from maternity leave and people treat you differently or you don't get as much opportunities. I do think like this has forced employers to acknowledge that they have parents and it's not just moms. There's dads, there's aunts, uncles, there's people with elderly relatives that they're caring for. And it's forced employers to be so flexible. I mean, I'm very grateful for that. And so in terms of how my career has changed, I had to sort of switch on and off. And I don't just do my full-time job. I do the podcast as well. And I'm starting, I'm going to be launching a YouTube channel next year. And (laughs) I don't have any balance. I'm trying to do a lot of things all at once. Just try and be a little forgiving of yourself. Try to schedule what you can schedule and then let it go when you can't. I think that that's a really important thing to, to have in the back of your mind. I communicate with my team. I don't try to hide that I'm struggling. I take a personal day if I'm really, oh, there's my dog. I take personal days if I need them. Yeah, I just, <laughs> there's, she's still going. What else can I say? You brought up a, a good follow-up there of how did you decide to add a YouTube channel in 2021 when it sounds like you already have a lot of moving pieces in your life? Yeah, I'm just a masochist. My therapist, <laughs> my therapist also wants to know but honestly, ah, you would ask, like, how have you changed kind of as a mother? I told my husband this, and he was like, what are you saying? I've just tried to test out saying this out loud and see what people say. But I'm like, I really want to be a selfish mom. I really want to be a mom whose life is so full and rich and interesting that my kid is like, whoa, look at mom go. I don't want it to be all about the baby. It is all about the baby. I'm a, I'm a very good mom. But at the same time, I want to, it's just given me this drive and this hunger to just flesh out and continue growing myself. And it's almost like I've realized, I think in the year leading up to having the baby, 
there wasn't much financially that I did. I, I was already kind of in, I was in good financial shape. I had made my good decisions. I was in a good place at work. I was very fortunate to be in that position, but I had worked toward it. I planned. I said, I'm going to start planning for a child when I have, for me, it was less about money and more about my work environment. Did I have people yeah. that I could deputize in my absence and keep things going? You know, having the baby, it just, the year before I was, I was prepping for it and I could, it was so hard to think about anything after having the baby because it just seemed like such an unknown. It was just a big black void in my mind. I couldn't imagine it. And now that I'm here, I'm like, oh, I'm not dead. We're still here. I've still got air in my lungs. I'm 33 years old. I got a lot to do. I feel energized. I feel excited. I also feel like, especially as a black woman, which I can never, and this is another thing that's happened with the conversations around racial injustice in our country and just the the dumpster fire of a world that we're in right now, it feels like in this country, I choose hope because I just don't know what, what's the alternative. I'm definitely angry and I am, I'm angry and I'm feeling feelings that I, I've never, I haven't allowed myself to feel for a lifetime because like so many other black uh, women, especially you put up with a lot of BS through your day to day and you just keep it moving because if you let yourself get down by it, then you wouldn't succeed. I've sort of told myself that I am involved. I'm donating to certain causes. I'm definitely being more vocal about the importance of voting in, in elections and not just the big presidential ones, but all the little ones too. At the same time, I, I was telling my little brother, I'm like, and I've told this, I've said this on Brown Ambition, the best form of protest for me as a black woman is being a successful black woman. It's for having financial security. It's for owning property, for building a legacy, for making sure that we create generational wealth, not just wealth for today, but wealth for tomorrow, for my son and his children, potentially. And I can't do that if I don't work and I don't create. And that is driving me, I think. I want to put two middle fingers up to systemic racism. (laughs) I want to, you know, I listen to the statistics. I know what the average black woman, you know, how much less she earns than her peers. And I know that black households are not only dying at higher rates from COVID or black citizens from COVID, but also are financially, you know, less secure than other demographics. I want to look at those statistics and say, okay, that is the story, but it's not my personal story. And I can only control what I can control, which is me and my family and what I do every day. And that is why I'm excited. That is why I am optimistic and I look forward to, you know, and, and whether there's a YouTube channel or a book or writing a play, I don't know what it'll be. I just want to follow what feels good. And for me, a YouTube channel, especially, so I'm planning a channel that's going to be all about wealth building and investing and demystifying a lot of what, you know, our capitalist society wants us to think is too hard for us. A lot of people benefit from, from the lack of financial knowledge that so many Americans have. They benefit from the fact that we are in debt. They benefit from the fact that we don't know how to build a nest egg and invest and things like that, because who's going to work and who's going to make the decisions to do the jobs that they don't want to do if there's if they're not shackled by debt, if they're not able to make different choices. I think that that message and sharing it, and I know that there's a lot of other amazing content creators out there on YouTube and I think that there's space for more. So I'm jumping out. I'm getting getting my uh get my little YouTube stewed ready. Well, I can't wait to see your channel. 
That Thanks. was the greatest answer to that question that we could have come up with. <laughs> have you read Glennon Doyle's Untamed? I have not. I okay, haven't. so she is her book. She came out this year. It's a New York Times bestseller for a very long time, <laughs> like number one bestseller. Don't ask me to write a book this year, girl. I have I have bought a lot of books. Have I read them? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should check this one out. She spoke at the Mama's Talk Money Summit this year, but there's a quote from her that is actually sitting on my desk that I have to read you because I think that you will like it with the selfish mom thing. She said, I burned the memo presenting responsible motherhood as martyrdom. I decided that the call of motherhood is to become a model, not a martyr. I unbecame a mother slowly dying in her child's name and became a responsible mother, one who shows her child how to be fully alive. Oh, my God. I'm going to cry. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do it. Like, fuck it, man. We don't have to clean. And we're not just here to like, you know, yes, I'm going to slice oranges with the best of them. I'm going oh, yeah. to run the carpool and all that shit. But it's like, yeah. And now mommy's going to go be a badass doing her job. And yes, that is so important. I, yes, I don't, the martyrdom thing. Like, I know what made me think of this too, is I was watching like Queer Eye. I love Queer Eye. And they had mm -hmm. a mom on there and they're always making over women who have just given up everything. Like, oh, she's given up so much. She never spends time for herself. She always just everything for the children and the family. And you see the children and they're beautiful and they're, you know, they're, they look great and well cared for. And the mom's looking so haggard. And I'm like, why are we celebrating this whole makeover society? Why does a mom need to be tapped on her shoulder and, and rewarded for not taking care of herself? And the shame, the, the shame and guilt that comes, I think, from some people who don't, who feel like, oh, taking care of yourself is, is, is selfish. Yeah, that's why I'm like, let's take it back. Be selfish. And happy mom, if you're happy, I think the baby's happy. As soon as I got back to work after maternity leave, I came back alive and I could give that extra love. And by going on anti-anxiety medication and going into therapy, those were things I did for myself so I could be a better mother for him. And I remember telling my my therapist and my psychiatrist, maybe I've I've always had anxiety. I've always dealt with it my whole life. I've coped with it. But I was a little too proud to ask for medication, but it was my son, you know, I, and, and they were, you know, I did my tests. They, they try and see like how, you know, are you clinically anxious or depressed, things like that. And I was sort of like in the middle and they said, you know, we could, we could go either way. You can continue trying to cope or you could take this medication and it's really up to you. And I was like, listen, if there's a small chance that taking this one little tiny pill a day will make me a better mom for my son, then let's rock. Like, let's do it. That's the choice I made. I want to be as good as I possibly can be for him. And I love that quote. Send it to me. I'm going to put I it. I will send it to you. Yes. Love it. That whole book was such a good one for just exactly what we're talking about. That like this ideal mother view of a mom is someone who like gives up everything for everyone in her life and is just haggard and worn out is Listen, stupid. I gave like it's just stupid. What else does he need? Like I gave my vagina and like. <laughs> part of my uterus like what else what else i at least i'm home to like make his little handmade organic purees i do that <laughs> i do that now such a I know I, child thing <laughs> i know i know i couldn't do it if it wasn't for covid i i think about if i have another kid i'm like they're gonna have a very different life than this <laughs> than this child has had but you know we were watching so i have a four and a half year old and a two and a half year old and a couple months ago, my two and a half year old was singing the theme song to a television show while eating half a donut. <laughs> my husband looked at me and goes, 
Henry, our older one, ha- hadn't been allowed to watch TV at this age, and he definitely was not eating sugar. And there's George, like, oh, knows the full theme song and is just munching away on this sugar circle. But, you know, you do what you got to do. He's fine, too. <laughs> we're all yeah. alive. Rio's at the age where he wants to eat whatever we're eating, especially my husband, because my husband always has the fun stuff. So he's definitely had a donut by now. He had coffee cake for breakfast yesterday. That's another thing that I've you just got to let that kind of stress go. It's just me. I, like he gets his yummy. He gets his good food. And then if there's little treats or if grandma abuela wants to come and give him fried plantains, it's a moment in time. And tomorrow's different. Tomorrow is going to be different. Yeah. We also just put so much strain on ourselves, too, of like as in all areas, but definitely with motherhood of it has to be perfect. And we think back to like our childhoods where like people were smoking around us. There was like smoking mm-hmm. areas of restaurants. It's like, OK, if he has a piece of coffee cake, he's going to be fine. <laughs> yes, be absolutely. Okay. I literally so, spent every summer vacation watching The Price is Right and <laughs> Maori and uh, Jerry Springer. And I turned out just fine. <laughs> <laughs> So, Mandy, tell us what financial or business goals you're working on right now. Oh, man. So I'm I'm working on growing the podcast. Tiffany and I are at the point now where we're, well, I've told her we're at the point now. But um, I think we we definitely like built a really loyal audience. I'm very excited. But to get to the next level, I think it's time for us to partner with a bigger network or any network at all because we've never done that. We're in talks with some podcast networks to see how we can grow in brown ambition and keep it going. I mentioned the YouTube channel. I'm very excited about that. I really want to write a book about wealth building. I've always wanted to write a play or uh, something like that. And it's always in the back of my mind (laughs) that I want to write a play. Yeah, that's my goal. I'm, I'm 33 now. I have kind of, you know, and this is probably because I became a huge fan of this YouTube channel called Our Rich Journey. Do you ever watch Mm -hmm. them? Yep. Yeah. They're kind of fabulous. (laughs) I, I realized I'm not that far from 40 and I'm not that far from 50 or 60. And I'm like, this is kind of, you know, how, what do I want the next couple decades of my career to look like? I love what I'm doing at Lending Tree. If anyone from there is listening, I'm not going anywhere right now. But I certainly, I certainly want to set myself up so that I can, quote unquote, retire early and, you know, not have traditional nine to five job in the next couple decades. So I'm thinking about that and growing wealth. And I would love to we have a house now and I've love I would love to purchase another property. Uh, but I don't know if I'm ready to be a landlord. I just know that's a thing that you can do to build wealth like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, that's that's it. And I wanna be That's it, she says after like six it. or seven major goals there that you just rattled off. I just wanna live a full life and just do what makes me happy and make decisions that I wanna make, not because I'm forced to. I want to make a very resilient child. It's very hard for me to imagine. So do I have to like get divorced from my husband and raise four kids as a single mom to have a very resilient child? I hope not. (laughs) But I am, I do want to teach Rio and make sure that he is as resilient as I think my husband and I have been in so that he could weather the inevitable ups and downs of life and not let them get in his way and just, uh, you know, and I and I, I think leading by example is one way to do that, even though he doesn't get it now. I hope he'll get it later. Have you had any ideas yet of how you're going to foster that resilience? I mean, I don't give him Cheerios when he wants them sometimes and he has to get over it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at 10 months, uh, that's a good start. I don't know. Jesus, I'm, 
again, I think just leading by example and trying to empathy is so huge. I am very excited about this in particular is being able to talk to him about uncomfortable subjects. And I am ready for it. I am ready to talk to him about politics. I'm ready for him to ask me questions that make me uncomfortable because I don't know the answer. And I'm ready to say, I don't know, but let's figure that out. You know, I think today's children just, they understand so much more and they're so much more, you know, aware of what's going on in our society in a way that we never, that I never was personally. And I grew up in the South and it was impolite to talk about politics and it was impolite to, to question why someone would vote the way they were voting. And I think that has really done us a disservice as a generation. And I think it's why we're in the little predicament that we're in now. I, it's one way you know, to I, put it. Yeah. <laughs> little uh, shit storm that we're in now. I, uh, I, I can't control everyone else's kids, but I will make sure that Rio, he empathizes with others that he understands if someone's doing something he doesn't agree with to not just immediately jump to anger, but to ask themselves why they maybe have forced to make that decision they made to question, to think critically. Oh my God, critical thinking, thinking critically about something someone tells you doing your own yeah. research. And I'm sure I'll find small opportunities to do that every day. If you haven't read it yet, you should check out Grit by Angela Duckworth. I also. did read. I did. Yes. That I'm going to listen to it great. again. It was a good audiobook. I'm going to have to re-listen to it because it was pre-baby. Yeah. We listened to it, I think, when my second was just born. As, they, as they're getting a little bit older, I want to listen to it again. But that one had some good strategies for like just day-to-day how to make sure that you're instilling that resilience. I like that book a lot. Just make them suffer a tiny bit every day, right? <laughs> <laughs> just, just get used to being inconvenienced <laughs> exactly exactly all right mandy before we let you go we have to do something that is special on the smart money mama show we have to have you try on our sorting hat so the sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you are you ready i it could not be more excited let's do it <laughs> although let's i have see. huge hair and i can't really wear hats anymore i hope this still works it's okay we'll balance it on top of, <laughs> okay. on top of your hair there what is your favorite song to rock out to oh my goodness i can't say elmo song because that is the bop of our house right he has a magical power he hypnotizes children including mine and i'm just like what is it about this little furry animal if it's not elmo song if it's just for mommy I really, right now, oh, I know, Rain On Me, the Lady Gaga, Ariana Grande song. I love that song. I blast it and just dance and make a fool of myself all the time. Yes. I totally love it. Yeah. We went through a big Elmo song phase, and now we've kind of transitioned them over to our music. So our four and two-year-old are constantly requesting Uptown Funk, which I just That's a good one. Bruno Mars. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, there's a good line in Rain On Me that's really about resilience. It's and I thought they were saying, I actually looked it up because I thought she was saying, I'd rather be drunk, but at least I'm alive. And I realized that doesn't make sense. So I Googled it and she's saying, I'd rather be dry, but at least I'm alive. And I think uh-huh. that's all about, right? Wouldn't yeah. we all like to not be wet, but oh, well, we're alive. Okay, continue. Sorry. No, that that's awesome. Mandy, where can people follow up with you, see more about Brown Ambition and everything you're working on? Oh, yes. Brownambitionpodcast.com is where you can find out all about the show. But follow us on Instagram at brownambitionpodcast. That's pretty much our home base right now. We're super active on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. Me, I am at Mandy Money, Mandy with an I. I have to say that because I still have family members who spell it with a Y. 
But yeah, Mandy Money on Instagram. You can follow me there. And you can also follow Rio, open up Rio on TikTok. That is <laughs> Rio's TikTok account, which my husband doesn't really know about, but like, don't tell him. He's not fully supportive of, of Rio's social media presence, but I think it's so cute. But like all the crap that's happening and you see like the joy that my son gets when he opens up the refrigerator, that is pure. That is what I needed. And I hope it's what everyone else needs right now. So check out Rio's TikTok. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope you guys check out Brown Ambition. Thank you, Chelsea, so much for having me. And it's been really wonderful talking to you. Thanks so much for coming, Mandy. This was great. We'll talk to you soon. I think I just outroed myself for you. I don't know. Hey, you're doing my job for me. That's perfect. (laughs) I so need Mandy's energy and spirit in my life. I don't know about you, Mama, but I absolutely loved hearing her embrace resiliency, finding the silver lining, and striving for your best life while still fighting patriarchy nonsense and pushing for change. Like the fact that women need to negotiate better and act more male to succeed and get paid what you're worth at work. Like, that needs to change. Mandy is a rock star. As always, I've wrapped up my three favorite takeaways from this chat with Mandy, though it was hard to pick just three, I'll be honest, for you to carry into your financial and mom life. First, resilience is absolutely essential. Wow, if 2020 didn't already teach us that, right? But life doesn't always go as planned, and sometimes it really, really sucks. But we can always choose to focus on what we can control, find the silver lining no matter how small it seems in the moment, and choose to continue working towards our goals. As Mandy says, get scrappy. Find creative ways to get where you want to go, even if it requires some detours, and keep your problem-solving hat on. But also remember that resiliency requires you to have the mental and physical health to actually keep going. Part of resilience is knowing when to take a step back, take care of yourself, ask for help, and remember that if you don't take care of you, you'll never be able to build that thriving life that you want. Second, nothing is final until the papers are signed. Always negotiate. Sure, it's absolute nonsense that we put the onus of negotiating on the employee or prospective employee, but we operate with what we got while we're pushing for change, right? Just like Mandy was able to go back and ask for equity even after initial negotiations were done, Nothing is final until those papers are signed. And even then, sometimes you can still get changes after the fact. Find a person in your life like Mandy's brother that will remind you of how awesome you are and help you identify things you might not remember you can negotiate for. Things like paid vacation time, equity, or benefits. Review a brag binder or talk to a friend before making that phone call or walking into the office to negotiate. And if what you're asking for doesn't make your hands kind of sweaty, you probably aren't asking for enough. Finally, have a full life as a mom. As moms, we spend so much time worrying about whether we're present enough for our kids. Are we putting their needs ahead of ours? Are we giving them every opportunity we can provide for them? But one of the most incredible things you can do for your kids is live out your dreams. Be your best full self and show them how to shine. Show them joy and resilience and self-care and dreaming. Want to start a passion project or change careers, run a marathon or write a book? Make it a priority. You deserve it and your kids deserve to see you out there kicking butt. You've got this. 
Mamas, I want to thank Mandy again for coming on the show and sharing her story. You can find links to her podcast, Brown Ambition, and follow her on social in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Mandy. And remember, that's M-A-N-D-I. You can also head there to download your free Meaningful Money Goal Kickstart Guide to help you decide what a full, thriving life looks like to you. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. Be sure to hit subscribe and tell a friend. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.